so good to be back in sunny South Africa, where we've got much better coffee. Um, but yeah, I've been in the UK for 11 days, got back last Sunday during this meeting. I would have just landed, and uh, so good to be back. I was at a three-day global um, advanced conference, which is kind of the movement of churches that we are part of. It was hosted by Matt. I mean, there's a picture of Matt. He was here, I think, right in the beginning of Feb. Um, uh, can you guys see that? Can we turn off these front few lights? Maybe it'll help. Maybe it won't. But uh, if you can see Matt on the right, Matt on the right hand side, Matt on your right, my left, you can see his floral shirt. I'm claiming that for, he was here on Hawaiian Sunday. And I told him all about floral shirts and he's got to wear them. And I'm telling you, I'm claiming that he wore that in commemoration of us here in Seaburg. So we got some represent, representation. But his church uh, hosted us Gateway in the Bournemouth Pool region. And it was so good. I got to spend time with family. Haven't seen my family for about three and a half years. So amazing to see them. You can see my sister and I. Uh, she's the very white one from the UK. And uh, that's my nephew. I mean, 11 years old. He turned 11 on the day I got there. He, he, honestly, he's here. He wears an 11 and a half shoe. He's a monster. <laughs> I went to watch him. Uh, I, went to, I got to go watch him play in a rugby festival. <laughs> he's a monster. It was lovely, huh? Uh, but he's, he's very sweet. Shame. I think he's scared sometimes he's going to hurt someone, which he very well could. I, I did say to him, there's only one way I'll ever support England, and that's if he maintains his size and his desire who knows, maybe one day I'll even dare to wear white. But uh, let's not hold our thumbs. But it was such a good time away. Now, obviously on a personal front, but also in terms of going to this conference. And I thought, coming back, I wanted to share with you a little bit about what's happening in our movement at the moment, this movement of advance, what's uh, going on. Uh, because I also think it applies... I was like, who's bumping this thing? <laughs> I'll try again. Is it still working? It was my fault, not yours. Hey, sound here is, is problematic, but you guys are doing great. I wanted to give you some feedback about what's happening in our movement at the moment. You know, we don't live out our personal faith in isolation, right? We live out our faith in community with other Christ followers. Well, same for us as a local church. You know, we don't just go about our mission on our own, isolated or just with a common ground family of churches. We're part of a much broader movement called Advance. And I wanted to share with you a little bit about that. So I know a lot of you might not know what Advance even is. So I know many people have been joining the church over the last few weeks and months. It's so exciting. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Advance. Uh, we're part of this I would still call it an emerging and growing global partnership that we've called Advance. It's not a denomination. I know many of us do come out of denominational backgrounds. Uh, what this is, is a global partnership of local churches, you know, local eldership teams, local uh, lead elders, who have, have agreed to partner together with the purpose of strengthening and planting new churches. And so it's this partnership around our common faith, a partnership around this common mission to see local churches, which is the vehicle through which the gospel is, you know, to go out into the world to strengthen and plant new churches. 
So Rigby, who's here with us this morning, you can wave Rigby if you don't know. Rigby, he, along with Sue, uh, gave birth to what is now the Common Ground family of churches. But they were, he was also instrumental in kind of the launch of Advance. And so now uh, Rigby, Sue, along with Ryan, who leads Common Ground, Rondebosch, and his wife, Kate, they're part of this global leadership team that gives leadership to this brilliant partnership. So, you know, it's amazing for us, along with these four other couples from around the world, that uh, we as Common Ground have such a strong connection with what's happening in advance. And uh, I don't know exactly, I would guess advance started with probably around four local churches. Um, I know some of those multi-congregational, you know, grew to 80 over time. Right now it's sitting at about 130 local churches from all across the world. I mean, mostly from the US, the UK, South Africa, but there's also churches and more and more from India, Nepal, Asia, Australia. And so really we're part of this emerging uh, movement and partnership of churches from really all around the world. So that's a little bit about what Advance is. If you ever hear us talk about it, uh, now you know. But let me talk about our movement at the moment. So last week when we gathered, there was about 300 people um, I'd say mostly pastors uh, or lead elders, lead pastors from churches along with one or two uh, eldership couples depending on where you came from and what your finances were looking at and how many people you could get through to the UK. And then, you know, also lots of just congregants from various churches gathering together. And it was a time of leadership inputs. It was a time of uh, prayer, lots of prayer for the regions, feedback from regions, what's God doing in different parts of the world. I mean, just so exciting to, to just be freshly reminded that we're part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Felt myself freshly drawn into this beautiful story and freshly inspired and envisioned for us as a local church. And, you know, what, what more could God be calling us to in terms of these global partnerships? Of course, we... Get blessed, but we're also to be a blessing to those partner churches. And then, you know, we had input from our key leaders, the global team, and Andrew Wilson was around as a guest speaker. Andrew's this emerging theologian out of the UK who's just, um, yeah, God's really on him as he, as he um, kind of helps us really bring scriptures and theology and engages so strongly with current affairs and current issues and what's happening in culture right now. Such a great, great gift. So good to hang out with him. I know Luke uh, Harper from South Bend loved it. He's got a, a proper man crush on Andrew Wilson. It's his guy. So I mean, altogether, it was a brilliant time, absolutely brilliant on so many levels. I would probably say that it's the best conference we've had this far as an advanced family, uh, this partnership. And, and I say that not lightly because actually the truth is over the last few years, Advance has actually taken two significant blows in terms of leadership. So I thought it would be good for me to, to fill you in. I mean, two of our most senior and founding uh, leaders within this global leadership team had to step down from leadership for, for various failures uh, in their personal lives. Now, these things are always complex, you know, especially more so for the churches involved, the relationships involved, and they're never easy. And, uh, you know, the one PJ Smythe, who was actually the team leader of the global leadership team, uh, you know, there were some very complex circumstances and uh, an external um, investigation uh, took place to help discern what was going on in, that, in his sphere. And there was this detailed report that was 
kind of pulled together, and it detailed some what was discerned to be disqualifying realities for Christian ministry uh, right now. If, if you do want to know more details about that, I'm going to leave it at that. You can go to the Advanced Movement website, and there is some more information available on there. But then, of course, closer to home, uh, in our church we partner with closely, Jubilee uh, Community Church, uh, Steve found himself also stepping out of full-time leadership uh, because of some uh, disqualifying leadership patterns kind of in his life. And so beautifully, Steve is now part of Common Ground Rondebosch. It's just a regular congregant uh, gathering together uh, with other Christ followers on this road to restoration. And I, I tell you that because I invite you to, to add your prayers to ours, that God in his goodness and his kindness will restore these brothers and their families to ministry again in the local church. And uh, who knows, even in uh, our movement or partnership and so let's pray and trust God for PJ, for his family, for Steve, and for their family, that God would do that restoring work. So what it meant for us as a movement that we, as we came to get together together, is that there was some introspection. You know, there were some hard questions. There were some reflections around, you know, what do you learn from a season like this? What do, we, what do we take with us? What are we gleaning and saying, how do we grow stronger into the future? How do we make sure that actually we're taking some of these lessons with us and not repeating them into the future? Of course, there were other you know, uh, factors impacting advanced movement and us as a local church, COVID. I mean, a huge impact across the world. You know, many pastors and churches experiencing the impact of COVID. Honestly, it was quite freeing for me to realize that we're not alone, you know, that it hasn't just been us that have been experiencing these difficulties. I mean, it was truly fascinating how many pastors from all of these nations would describe the last two years as their hardest they've ever experienced in Christian leadership. And many of them, you know, being pastors for decades. And so I found that really, really encouraging. But, but not only that, you know, I wasn't, we, and we aren't alone in what we've experienced, um, but also amazing to see the growth in the leaders. You know, God takes these circumstances and these difficulties and he brings us to maturity. We're learning about that through the, the series of James that we're doing. And so magnificent just to see the caliber of kind of leadership from local pastors to also the global leadership team, just feeling like God's done something here in the hearts of these people. And it hasn't been, you know, a walk in the park. It's been through this refining fire that God puts us through from time to time. But also incredible to see how God has added about 30 churches to the advanced movement, you know, over this period of such difficulty. I mean, so many churches planted, so new churches being established, planted out of other churches, and of course some churches also joining the family, uh, a partnership of churches called Advance. And I have to say, you know, you add all of these things together, these difficulties, some of these hits, the realities. I think our global leadership team really read the moment absolutely brilliantly and right. Not only for the movement, but also for where we were as, as an R, as pastors and eldership teams and churches with this theme that was called Humbly Onward. Humbly Onward. I mean, we're a movement called Advance. You know, we're about strengthening and planting churches, taking ground, getting on with the mission. You know, you read Acts, and we say, God, do it again. Do it again, God. Let there be an explosion of local churches. And so we want to keep moving onward. But man, there's this beautiful, beautiful humility 
that's come upon our movements, and that actually in reflection has come upon us, even us as a local church, certainly us as an eldership team. <coughs> I mean, if I think about us as Common Ground Constantiaberg, there's so much where we can relate actually to the movement. We've had a lot of challenges, um, certainly different, but the encouragements were there nonetheless. Sorry, I'm desperate for some water. I'm starting to struggle. We've had some leadership transitions over the last few years. Um, you know, point leadership transition, transition within an eldership team. Please hear me. Nothing like what I've described in terms of, you know, people stepping down from local ministry. This was not that case at all. But these leadership transitions can be challenging for a local church like ours. <coughs> We've had a venue move, which, you know, from the range to here, which has, you know, been unsettling for some. We've been especially hard hit during COVID. I mean, if you don't know, the Western Cape uh, Education Department closed all schools to activity other than education. And so for two years, we as a local church gathered in person only about five times. Probably say in all of the churches I met, this probably one of the most uh, severely hit places was the Western Cape, right here in South Africa. You know, we've got a building project that's on the go. I mean, it's come at a bit of an awkward time, you know, emerging out of all of this and two years of COVID and barely being together and then our departure coming through. And uh, the truth is, it's, it's, it's been challenging, you know, unexpected. You know, when you started a project like this and you find yourself where you are now and you realize, wow, that was not what we were thinking and not where we thought we would be. And, 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 and so it's just different. You know, things aren't the same as they were pre-COVID. And it's true across the world that, that actually many people have experienced not everyone's come back into church following from COVID. Now, I don't know if you've experienced it in your own life, but I've, I've found that it feels like people are also less frequent. You know, maybe people used to come three out of four or, or one out of two. It feels like now it's, it's maybe one out of three. And I don't know what the reason for that is. Probably just, you know, a lack of habits or maybe other things coming in. But these have all been challenges. And, and, and I'm emerging out of this, you know, our movement's emerging out of this season. We're emerging out of this season. And, and I want to say we're emerging, joining with our brothers and sisters across the advanced movements and joyfully marching humbly onward, trusting and sensing from God a real move of blessing, a move of His Spirit, a move of humility, a move of deepening our trust and dependency on God, trusting Him for greater and greater things. And so it was just so beautiful to be part of this movement emerging from a tough season and in the same way feeling the same thing and as an eldership team feeling the same emerging for us into a bright new future. So let me give you a bit of a roadmap of what I, what I want to do this morning. I've kind of given you a bit of a background there. I want to open the scriptures to 1 Peter 1. And uh, this is a text that, for me, summarizes some of the themes and the teachings that came out of the conference that I particularly feel, you know, speaks to also where we're at as a local church. It wasn't used in the conference, this passage, but one morning I was reading the scriptures, drinking some coffee, and it just felt like God grabbed my attention here, and it resonated me, with me throughout the, the, the gathering. So I want you to listen with two lenses. One, I want you to listen through your own life, you know, as a Christ follower, maybe as a, as a family of Christ followers, 
uh, in your nuclear family. So listen to the lens of what could God be saying to you in your circumstances. And then with the other ear, listening to, hey, what's God saying to us as a local church that's part of this broader movement of advance? And then I'm going to land with some reflection. Okay, 1 Peter 1, let's read together from verse 3. If you've got your Bible, turn to it, otherwise it's on the screen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, this is God's word, and may he speak to us through it. Truth be told, I mean, there is so much you can unpack out of those scriptures. I mean, this is one of the most condensed, rich, beautiful texts that can be mined for a very long time, like an exquisite tapestry of truth. But what I want to do this morning for the purposes of today is I want to almost pull on one thread out of that beautiful tapestry. And so as we track the broader outline of what Peter's teaching here, I'll pull on that thread. So here we go. Some quick context, similar to the book of James. If you've been following with us, Peter's writing to to Christ followers, believers, mostly Gentiles, that are scattered in various parts uh, of the known world. And they're experiencing harassment, hostility, there's, there's change, there's uncertainty, there's challenge, there's difficulty in the realities in which they find themselves. And Peter being a pillar of the church, I mean, one of the first disciples uh, after Pentecost where the Holy Spirit fell on the church, I mean, Peter was the guy that stood up and, uh, and preached that very first message recorded in the scriptures. Uh, Peter's a character, there's a lot we can say about him. But But being the pastor that he is, he writes to these Christ followers to encourage them in the midst of uncertainty and change and transition and trial. And the beautiful thing thing is that God uses these exact same words to encourage and minister to us today as individuals and as a church. So verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. So here's Peter, pastor. He's looking at these guys, and they've, they're going through stuff. And he wants to make sure that, that as he encourages them, that they're starting in the right place. It's like Peter's saying, hey, if, if we want to navigate through the challenges of life, if you want to navigate through the challenges of your life, You have to make sure that you're calibrated to the true north, that you're finding your place and your positioning in God himself. This is the right place to start living. So he directs their focus off whatever their immediate uh, complexities are or trials or difficulties or changes. And he says, "Let's, let's take our eyes off those things for a moment and put them in the better place 
right there onto our Heavenly Father. And really, that is part of the privilege of being a Christ follower, is that we have a Father in heaven. We have a true north. We have someone who can be an anchor for our lives, an anchor for our souls, our hearts. And so Peter reminds them of four great truths that we find when we, when we look to God in the midst of difficulty. It's true for, it's been true for the movements, it's true for our church, it's true for your life. Firstly, Peter talks about salvation as new birth, takes them back to the conversation Jesus had with Zacchaeus. I mean, Peter was probably there at the time, he might have even have overheard the whole thing. And Peter reminds them that salvation is all about what God does for us. I mean, what role did you have to play in your birth? Nothing, right? I mean, except maybe to be human, which wasn't really because of your efforts either. Salvation is a gift from God. It's, it's God acting upon us. It's doing something that we could never do for ourselves. We don't contribute to our salvation except maybe contributing our sin. So he reminds them of that, this great gift. Then secondly, he reminds them that we're saved into a living hope. That Christ, well, you're not only saved, You're saved into a living hope. In other words, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the power of God, and we now have access not only to his teachings. We're not just left with the teachings of Jesus and his precepts and his principles and his, no, no, we are invited into relationship with the teacher that through the spirit of God, we can engage him in a dynamic living relationship of hope that actually the Spirit is at work in our lives as Christ followers, that the Spirit is, is helping us experience the love of God, you know, convicting us, encouraging us, speaking to us, making Scripture come alive to us. Thirdly, he says, you're saved into an inheritance. It's the right place to start. Remember this great salvation that's all God's doing, that it's a living hope, and that there's this inheritance that can never spoil perish or fade. Now, when you're born again by God, the other language used in the scriptures of salvation is being adopted into God's family. When you're adopted into a family, there's an inheritance for you. I mean, you don't earn your inheritance that you might be looking forward to from maybe a parent or a grandparent. It's yours by virtue of your relationship with them, that you're a son or a daughter or a grandchild. In the same way, we have this inheritance that's awaiting us from God, and it's got nothing to do with what we've done. It's by virtue of our relationship with him as adopted, loved sons and daughters. And then here's something very cool. The fourth thing is that Peter wants to remind Christ followers, he wants to remind us that God is keeping this inheritance safe for you. Amazing. The emphasis here is it's all God's doing. You know, your salvation, your place with God, your living hope, it's it's his activity, his kindness, his grace, his gift to us. We don't generate it, we don't earn it, we don't maintain it, we receive it with glad and sincere hearts. You know what this does to us? Humbles us. Humbles us. Not that we think less of ourselves, but as we we see God for who he really is, as we celebrate what he's doing, as he gets larger and larger in our minds and in our hearts, we diminish. There's this humility that comes on our lives as he increases. 
I think Peter's saying to these guys in the midst of their trouble, don't think too much of yourself. Don't think too much of your gifts or your ability to wangle or get out of tight spots or your smarts, your intellect, your strengths. So that's not the right place to start. Start by looking to God. It's not an abdication of any of these things, by the way. You know, we still have activities to do. We still have strength. We still have gifts. But it's this humility that comes on us as Christ followers, as church, as we see the truth of God's ridiculous generosity to us in Christ. Now let's keep reading verse four. I know we've read it. It says, enter an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. And here's verse five, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I love what Peter does here. He's reminding them that not only is God keeping your inheritance for you, he's keeping you for your inheritance. He's keeping you for your inheritance. He says, you, Christ followers, sitting here today, us as a local church family, we are being shielded. We are being protected. We are being guarded by God's power until our salvation is ready to come in its fullness until our inheritance is ready to be given in its fullness when Jesus comes again. It's like, it's like God takes us into his protective custody, that he takes responsibility for our lives until our salvation is ready. I mean, think about it. What good is it to know that there's this inheritance kept in heaven for you when you've got no guarantee that you're actually gonna get there? I mean, Calvin says it like this. He says, of what use is it that salvation is reserved for us in heaven as in a calm haven when we are tossed in the world as on a troubled sea in the midst of a thousand wrecks? Peter's reminding them that God will see you through, preventing you from being shipwrecked on the rocks of this life's troubles. Now, here's where I want to start pulling on a particular thread. How will God see us through? What is the mechanism by which God will shield us, by which God will guard us or keep us? It says it's through our faith that God shields us. It's by our faith that we are shielded. It's by our confidence, dependent confidence, that God is who he says he is. That as Christ followers, we take God at his word. We believe that he is who he said. We believe that he's doing what he says he will do, both in our lives and through our lives and in the world. And as we believe that with ever-increasing measure, and as we make decisions and cast our hopes and our dependence on who he is and what he's doing, that he keeps us. And then six, verse six says this, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And he's saying to them, now that you've started in the right place, wherever you find yourself in life, wherever we find ourselves, now that we've started in the right place, we can rejoice even in the griefs and trials that we experience as people, even as local churches. And we can find joy in these trials and troubles and changes and challenges because they're not arbitrary. They're not arbitrary. You know, God doesn't cause these troubles, 
But God knows that these troubles come our way because we live in a world marred and scarred and cursed by sin. But God never wastes these challenges and trials. He uses them to purify and strengthen our faith. Now, I hope you can connect the dots. We know that it's the gift, God's gift of faith that he gives us by which he keeps us. The measure of our faith is what keeps us shielded by God's power. At the same time, God is at work strengthening and purifying our faith. What a good father. He wants to make sure that the very thing that keeps us in his protective care is being strengthened, is being purified, is being stretched so that it can be proved to be genuine. And Peter reminds us we're blessed, actually, when we go through some trials. We're blessed when we go through some difficulties. We can rejoice because God is giving us the very thing that we need in order for him to keep us. You know, we value gold. Gold is very precious to us. It's, it's true. But Peter reminds us, Christ follower, there is something far more precious in your life than gold or anything else this world can offer. And it's a true and approved faith in God, your Father. So God allows our confident trust, our confident trust, dependence to be stretched, strengthened, purified, fortified through these challenges and difficulties. During the conference, uh, we had a teaching on 2 Corinthians 4 from Matt, and it was speaking about the reality that as people, we are like jars of clay. But within these jars of clay is held this, this most uh, precious treasure. It's true of our lives. I mean, sometimes we feel so brittle that we're just this jar of clay, and, and the world's impacting us, and, and things are happening. We feel like we can, we can break, but the truth is, even within this, this clay vessel, there's this treasure of salvation and faith that is most valuable. It says, you know, you can get battered. You can get pressed you can get perplexed, you can get struck down. I mean, that's the truth of life. But even as jars of clay, with this treasure of salvation and faith within us, we can be pressed but not crushed. We can be battered but not destroyed. We can be perplexed but not land up in despair. We can be set back but not destroyed. That we are jars of clay. We feel these things. We're empathetic. But we understand that there is a treasure within this clay that can see us through. See, the reality is trials can take us in different ways. When we experience difficulties or trials or changes or transitions or the unexpected, they can break us. They can harden us. They can petrify our hearts, our, our, our minds, our souls. They can even cause us to abandon faith or really undermine our faith or they can humble us before God. They can cause us to move towards God in greater humility and desire and dependence than ever before because we understand we need him. That it's this treasure that we carry within us that will see us through. I think that's, what hap that's what's happening in the, our movement of advance. You can see this humility coming upon the leadership team and the churches, this fresh dependence. And you know what? I've, I've seen it even here in Constantiaburg. 
even amongst us as an eldership team, this, this greater humility and dependence, saying, God, there's stuff happening here that you know, we can't just think our way through this stuff. We don't want to, God. We want to depend on you. We want to freshly rely on you. Maybe it's true for your life as well. Probably the most striking truth out of the conference, and I didn't know Rigby was here today, but, but Rigby opened up the, the conference with the teaching out of Philippians 2, which spoke about the, the two frontiers of the gospel. You know, we know as Christ followers that it's us, our role to take the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, to the ends of the earth, to proclaim it to all nations. But there's another part, there's another frontier to the gospel, and that frontier is us, our own hearts as Christ followers. That as Christ followers, we need to make sure we don't neglect the gospel going to the ends of the earth, but we also don't neglect the gospel, the truth of Jesus penetrating our own hearts with ever-increasing humility and transformation. You know, when you go through tough times, when we go through difficult times, it's an opportunity for us to invite the deeper work of God's spirit and his word into our lives. We're vulnerable we're exposed. This is the right time to say, God, get into me more than ever before. Don't let these things go by. I thought about the picture you just mentioned, you know, death and new birth, new experience of life. You know, that's true for us on the day that we're saved, but God is always leading us into new life that he's always wanting to bring us into the fullness of life. He's always wanting to gift us with more life. And so let's keep surrendering. Not in salvation, but in obedience. Keep surrendering in obedience and, and living into the fullness of life that God is giving us. God is taking us onto maturity. But we must stay humble in dependence. We must stay malleable in the potter's hands, responsive and courageous in our relationship with him. And actually the hardest times are often the best times for us to see the face of our Savior as he calls us to live humbly onward. And then verse eight, it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. I mean, remember, Peter had seen the living Jesus. He had seen him crucified. He had engaged with the resurrected Christ. So, you know, he's seen him and he's, he's commending those Christ followers that haven't seen Jesus in his bodily resurrected form. He says, though you've even seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And what happens is as he commends this faith, as he commends this trust, he says, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. He says, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. This increased faith, this humility, this, this onward humility creates and generates love and joy in our hearts. It's in this posture of humility, this humbly onward, that we are kept by God and already start to taste our future salvation. That actually this faith, this humble dependence, this hunger for God, this high view of God is already a foretaste of the salvation that is ours, the fullness of which is waiting for us in heaven. So I hope that's spoken to you in some way as an individual and for us as a church. 
excited you about what's happening. And so some learnings or some applications or, or some of what I'm bringing back in me that I'm trusting God for, for you, but for us as a local church. So here we go. Firstly, let me say that I've been incredibly encouraged by what God is already doing right here in Constantiaberg. As I went through the conference, as I heard these teachings, as God worked in my heart and as I chatted to people and I just experienced this wonderful grace and encouragement from God, I thought about, you know, and amazing that we've made these banners. You know, Philippians 1.6, it starts, be confident in this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. We've put these banners up to remind us these are the words that God's spoken to us this year. And here's this high view of God, this confidence that God started it, God will finish it. Don't depend on yourself, depend on him. And then John 15, remain in the vine. You know, we live our life sometimes like we're the vine, we're branches. We connect ourselves to the vine that is Jesus Christ, to the life of God that we so desperately need to see us through. And then how appropriate that we're in James in this season in the life of the church. And there's the, the key verse for me out of the whole book of James. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I mean, it's like God's been calling us humbly onward, freshly seeing him, freshly living in him, freshly trusting his transformation in our lives in the midst of what's been a tumultuous few years. Wonderful, so encouraging. I, I was reminded secondly, and I bring this back with me into the life of the church, that we are not alone. You know, that's true for you, Christ follower. You are not alone in your life. You're surrounded by family. And we as a church are not alone. I mean, we're not unique in our challenges. You're not unique in your circumstances in your challenges, in your temptations, there's always help. God is the God who always surrounds us with help, starting with him and then with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as a local church, how beautiful that we have a network of churches all around the world that really care about how we're doing, that really care that we're growing that really care that we're moving forward in our, in our mission, that we're strengthened. It's just such a wonderful thing. Don't allow yourself to get isolated. Here's another thing I'm bringing with us. This, I wanted to almost call it a warning, but maybe it's more of a strong urging for us to keep pressing on to maturity. It's one thing I brought with me. It's humbly onward. It's, it's God transformed this inner frontier of my heart. Mature me. God is calling us to maturity. Maturity. Greater faith. Greater dependence. We have to stay malleable. You know, you know we at Constantinburg, this is our field to plow right here, the Constantinburg Valley. This is where God has planted us. This is where our immediate mission field is. This is where we want to make an impact. But I've been reminded that actually we're, we're more than just about this valley. That actually we've got a role to play in strengthening and planting churches all around the world. That as we come into maturity, we're able to do that more and more effectively. That as we bring our lives and our gifts and our generosity and our time and our efforts to the well-being of the church, God will use that across the world, 
with brothers and sisters that know us and love us and need us and will need us into the future. There was this prophetic picture at the conference of someone basically just speaking about the parable of the talents. And it's saying, you know, it was so sad that the person who was given the one talent didn't understand the heart of God and so buried, buried their talents. Let's not be like that. Let's not be those who do not understand the heart of God. God adds people to his church. He adds you and me to the local church for the upliftment and progression of that church, that we have something to bring, that we have a talent, we have a gift, we have energy, we have lives, we have ideas that we can bring. And your service, your generosity, your stepping into leadership, your prayer, it all matters to what God's doing here, but not only here, beyond here, into the world through our advanced movements. By the way, that's why I'm trusting God to also plant us medium and long-term, in a venue. Because I just sense this, this pull from God into this broader story that God wants to establish us because us as a local church, we have something to give. That in the seedbed of this church, in the lives of this church, is something significant that God wants to raise up for the well-being of this movement and the world. Let me skip to this last one. I believe God is urging us to ask more and expect to receive more from him. I'm talking about prayer. I feel God calling us to greater prayerfulness. We must go to, go to God more fervently, more frequently, and expecting that he is still at work in his church, that he's the commander-in-chief, that he's got purposes and plans for us, that he is still building his church. He's inviting us to join him in what he's doing in the world. And he's calling us to greater and greater prayer. I don't know what your prayer lives are like personally, but I know that as a church, we don't seem to like to pray. You know, prayer meetings, corporate prayer meetings, they are so difficult to pull off. I know life's complex. But we're not going to back off on trying to get that right. But I want to say to you, pray. Rigby says, our prayer life is not an indication of our personal discipline. It's an indication of the level of our dependence on God. And I hope that we are a praying people. I hope that we're not depending on ourselves that we're thinking we've got what it takes, that we're enough, or that we're thinking that all God wants us to do with our lives is what we can. God got so much more for us, for you. But we need to be praying, praying. And I invite your prayers. Pray into every ministry. Pray for the leaders. Pray for your life group leaders. Pray for our next generation. Pray for ministries that exist. Pray for the ministries that don't exist, that you wish did exist. And let's trust God that they come into fruition. Let's be a people who pray, depending on God, moving humbly forward. Sound good? Heather, you guys can come in. Lead us in a closing song. Why don't you guys stand?
me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word, the power of your word. Thank you for your church, your brothers and sisters that you surround us with, that we can be encouraged and, and called to more, strengthened. And I pray, God, for individuals, maybe individual families here today that, that you might have been speaking to that are going through trials or difficulties or challenges or transitions. God, that you would strengthen their faith. That God, where you've put in hearts a desire for more of you, that you would answer those prayers. Even now as we sing, that you would answer those prayers. That you would fill us with your spirit, God. That we would experience more of you as we humble ourselves and move on following you, trusting you, depending on you. And God, I pray that prayer for us as a local church. I pray that prayer for Advance and for the churches around the world, for church plants that are kicking off, God, that you would continue to pour out your spirit on us. God, that you would cause us to become all that you've called and designed and planned for us to be. And God, we as a church want to say yes. We want to offer up our lives and our togetherness and our treasures and our gifts and our times and our energies for your glory the advance of your gospel not only in this valley but across the world in Jesus name Amen